Thanks for coming. No, I'm good. Don't make me let let Susie whistle. You'll be hurting the rest of the day in the ears. Oh, thanks for being here today. I'm excited. Um, man, 10 years you guys have been uh, letting me share what, what's on my heart, what God has put on my heart for your lives, and um, I was definitely not going to mail it in today. Um, I've been working on this, and I got one more thing. I got one more thing to say um, to you that you've probably heard before. I got one more thing to say about God, one more thing to say about you, and one more thing to say about church today. And um, this is not something new if you've been around here for a while, but if I had one, one thing I wanted you to hear about each of those things, I'm going to say them today. Um, so, like we have done every Sunday since I have been at this church, um, I want to give you a chance to get your heart right. Um, I need a chance to get my head right, um, and probably my heart too. And the way we do that um, is a, it's part of our culture here now. It's a, it's a minute or a couple minutes um, before the beginning of our uh, sermon every week where we just get quiet. Um, you can hear the baptistry, you can hear the projector, you can hear the kids screaming, um, but a moment to just take a deep breath and to say, God, would you, uh, if I put something else above you this week, now is the moment that you go back up top. Um, and if you'll do that this morning, even if, even if you're not sure what you believe, even if you're kind of kicking the tires, even if you showed up today pretending you believe, yeah, I know, even if you showed up today feeling like ever, you fooled everybody else, one person you have not fooled is God, and he whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you. And if you can take a deep breath right now, if you can just get a moment right now to hear from him, um, it'll, ch it'll change your perspective. Um, whether you believe him or not, you're going to sit here, you might as well. So this is a good opportunity for you to get quiet. If you're a believer, um, you have, I'm sure like me, put other things um, in front of God this week and the noise has gotten so loud you can't hear from him. So it's a good moment just to take a minute um, and uh, I'll close this after that in prayer and we'll jump right in this morning. God, I can hear the water in the baptistry. I can hear the hum of the fan on the projector. I can hear the coughs of summer colds and the <laughs> yelling of the kids in the back and the precious volunteers taking care of them. God, in the quiet of this room, we choose to be here. Not wondering what's for lunch. Not worried about tomorrow morning at work. We choose right here, right now, to be in this moment. 
we want good advice, if we want profound thoughts, we could read a book and listen to Dr. Phil. That's not what we're here for. This morning in the quiet of this room, we're here for, for a word from the creator of the universe. Would we stagger away today, God, with a fresh breath of knowledge from the one who created us? Would you be honored by the way we not just hear what you have, but act on it, by the way we move? And we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. So I don't want to make this about me this morning. Um, I really don't. And I prayed about it all week. Um, the last thing I want to do on my last Sunday here is make this about me. But that said, I have a couple pictures of me. Um, <laughs> next slide, Tanya. Um, when I think of you, all of you, um, this is actually not me. This is my wife with the orange team um, on the top left there. This is my wife covered in something pink in VBS. Um, this is the Anchor of Hope retreat down below. Um, I'm not in any of those pictures. And part of the reason is because I want you to know the impact you've had on my family. I want you to know what it has meant to my family to be in a place where you're accepted no matter what you've done, no matter who you've been. Next slide, Tanya. I'm going to cry if I don't stop. That top left. It's the reason I'm walking away today. Because there's a lot of people who can do this. But there's only one dad and one husband for those. And you've led me to be the kind of man that will stop even a good thing for a better thing. That's Orange Conference this year. Um, they couldn't get Risha and I to wear the hats. <laughs> and uh, one, one Sunday, I, uh, I was here and I was talking about how when I first started in ministry, I really wanted a parking space with my name on it. Like Pastor Mitchell, right up front, you know. And so when I started in ministry here, I hated that feeling about me, that I wanted to be the guy up front and I wanted my name in lights. I did not want to be that person. So my very first Sunday here, I parked on the very corner as far from the building as possible to be as far away from that guy that I wanted to be in college as I could be because I don't want to be that. And I parked all the way over there. And I have parked, and if you've been here for this long, you know if my car's in the parking lot, it's in that corner. And one Sunday, I mentioned that during a sermon, and Steve and Bobby, the next week, made me a sign that said, reserve parking for Pastor John Mitchell. And it was at the very corner and the very end of the lot. Um, the birds pooped on it, and then the wind blew it down. But it was good for a while, you know. Um, I got one more thing. After all the things that you've done for me in this place, I got one thing to say about God, one thing to say about you, and one thing to say about church this morning. And I want to start where you should start, with God. If I had one thing to say to you about God as, we, as I walk away from this place, one thing to say it would be this. He's on and by your side. Jesus stood on a hill. You know this. <laughs> you can finish it if you've been here because I've said it so many times. I want it drilled into the people who follow Jesus in this place. That Jesus stood on a hill full of people who thought they had God cornered. 
They thought they knew God and nobody else did. They thought if they memorized enough scripture, they thought if they could obey enough rules, they could win God's favor. They could be the ones that knew God. And that if you didn't obey their rules and the rules that they attributed to God, you weren't on God's side. And Jesus stood on a hill and he looked at groups of people, a ton of people, people who were, had thought they were on God's side and people who had been told so many times that God hated them that they had believed it. And Jesus told them all at the same time, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Those of you who are spiritually poor, yeah, you know who you are. Those of you who have always said, I'm not a church person, I'm not a God person. If, the, if I walked into a church, the walls would fall down. Those of you who felt as though you have made one bad choice after another in your life and the gods have to hate you. Jesus looked them in the face and said, guess what? God is on your side. Ephesians chapter 2 says this thing that is life-changing. This is absolutely the only piece of scripture you need for the rest of your life if you're a Christian. Now, you should look at all of them. But you could live off of this one for the rest of your life. Did you know that at the beginning of, of this religion thing, the beginning of this people trying to figure out who God is thing, they had this issue with God. And in fact, I think it still exists where they believed that their sole purpose on earth when it came to God was to make him happy was to appease him. And the reason they did it was actually pretty selfish. They had crops, and they realized that they weren't in charge of the crops. They were not in charge of whether or not they could plant the crops, and they could, they could do the best they could with the crops. But if they wanted the crops to grow, they were out of, it was out of their hands, the wind, the water, the sun, all of those elements are out of their hands. So early on, religious people started to believe that they had to get the gods, you've heard the gods with the small g, lots of gods, there was a god of the water, a god of the sun, a god of the wind, a god of all these things. They had to get them on their side by doing things. And they would sacrifice little things. It started with little things. And they would, they would sacrifice a little bit, and it would rain a little bit. And they will go, oh, well, if I sacrifice more, Maybe the gods will be happier with me, and it'll rain more, and then my crops will even grow more. So they sacrificed more and more and more, and this is how child sacrifice came about. Because the problem with trying to appease the gods in your life is that you can't ever sacrifice enough. There is never enough to make the gods happy. And you need to know this right now. If I had one thing to say to you as I walk away from here about God, it would be that you don't have to make the gods happy. That he's already on your side. You don't have to desperately try to appease him. You know, we've played this game. You've played this game. How many, how many Sundays in a row do I have to go to church before God will let me get that job? Right? How many, how many things can I do? How many prayers can I pray? How many times in a row can I get up and have my quiet time? How many nighttime prayers can I have with my kids before God will start to bless me, right? We play this game. Even though religion started hundreds, thousands of years ago, and people have been feeling, we have not changed the way we think about God, many of us. But Paul says, Jesus came to change the way we think about God. That you don't have to try to keep the gods happy anymore. Ephesians says this, because of his kindness, not because of your church attendance, because of his kindness, you've been saved through trusting Christ. And you go, oh, there it is. I have to trust Christ, right? There's the thing I have to do. There's the way I please God. But then Paul goes, now hang on. And even trusting is not of yourself. 
Even trusting God is not of you. That's a gift from God. Salvation, then, is not about keeping the gods happy. It's not about keeping God on your side because he's already there. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done. Man. Salvation. Would you teach your kids this? God's love is not dependent on them being good. Maybe you need to teach yourself this today. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done. So none of us can take any credit for any of it. Not only is God on your side, but he's by your side. We have a problem in church, and preachers are the worst. Rod, I don't mean to set you up like this, but we're the worst when it comes to this. We like to talk about God as though he is somewhere else. We even say things like this in our prayers. God, would you, would you be with us today? You know what that means to us in our brains if we think about it enough? That God's not with us unless we pray that he comes and is with us. Now, I know what we mean. We mean we want to feel his presence more. But if we say that enough and our kids hear it saying it enough and we feel that enough, we start to believe that we somehow have to summon the presence of God into our midst. That somehow with the right words to a song or with the right words to a prayer, God will go, ooh, I think that was a well-said prayer. I think I'm going to go to new life today. Right? Is that how we talk? It's how we talk. Somehow we believe. In fact, if things are really, really bad for your friend, for your best friend, your very first prayer as a Christian for them will be, God, be with them today. And I know what you mean by that. But what we begin to feel is though God is somewhere else. In fact, when we sing, if you're, if you're new to the church around here, if you're new to, to church in general, it's really weird for you when people sing and they look up and they do this, right? It's like, what are you looking at? The ceiling tiles? What, what's going on here? And, and the truth is, we tend to believe, even as deep followers of Jesus, that he is somewhere up there, that God is somewhere way up there. And there's nothing wrong with looking up. There's nothing wrong with getting your perspective there. But if you're not careful, you begin to believe that God is so far away that he is not here by your side. If I had one thing to say to you today, I would, it would be this about God. See, you knew I wouldn't just say one thing. I'm saying two things about each of these things. Sounds about right. I would, I would tell you that God is on your side, but I would tell you that God is by your side. He's closer than you think. One of my favorite things about this church is a song that Rick Alexander wrote, and I'm not going to talk much about Rick Alexander this morning because I'm going to start crying. Because it's not the songs that Rick sings. It's the life that Rick has led. If you've been here long enough, you know exactly what I mean the faithfulness that Rick and Linda have had in the midst of some of the worst things I've ever seen a human go through. Their faith has made my faith stronger. He wrote a song called Come In Jesus. I'll never forget. Rick, I've never told you this, but I have really bad anxiety. You knew that. I have a really bad anxiety problem. And when I went to see my counselor in Bloomington, she said, you need to find some things that, that bring you levity in the moment because anxiety causes you to awfulize, make things worse than they really are. And she said, you need to find a couple of things, whether it's a song or a thought or a picture or something. And I've tried a lot of things. And you need to know, I don't know what God led you to in that song, but I can tell you one of those things for me is the words, come in Jesus. Revelation 3.20, I don't know if you read this when you wrote that, but 
here's where it comes from. Jesus says, look at me. You know what he doesn't say? Look at the stars. Look at the sky. He says, look, right here, because I'm right here. Look at me. He says, I stand at the door, and I knock. If you hear me, call and open the door. What do you mean? I've got to call you to the church. I've got to call you into my life. No, no, no. I'm already here. The door is right here. I'm right here, and I'm just knocking over and over and over. And what do you have to do? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to be baptized? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Do I have to take communion right? Do I have to have devotions? Do I have to journal? What do I have to do? Open the door. You say, God, I'm open. I love this. He says, if you hear me, call and open the door, and I'll come in. See, you, you don't even have to let him in. He's coming in. He just, he just wants you to say, yes, and I'll sit down, and I'll have supper with you. And then check out what he says. Conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table. You know what a conqueror is? The original language here would have sounded something like, those who have beat death. Because death is the scariest thing on earth. It always has been. It's the thing that most of us are scared most of. And Jesus was saying to these people, those of you who have beat death like I've beat death, those of you who have, we are in this fraternity of people who have beat death. There are very few of them. And you're in, and you're a conqueror. And we, the, the bunch of us together who have beat death, we're going to sit together. We're going to be together. He says, conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table. Just as I, having conquered, took the place of honor at the side of my father. That's my gift to conquerors. I, I hugged you guys this morning, which I almost didn't do because I, I just afraid I'd get too emotional. And I did, but I'm glad I did it anyway. And as I hugged you, I knew I was preaching this this morning, and I thought, conquer. Makes a conqueror. <laughs> Hug people over here, and I thought, "You're a conqueror." Went over to Craig. If you've ever shaken Craig's hand, you got to get ready for it. Like it's every Sunday. I'm like, "Okay, I'm tough enough to shake Craig's hand this morning." Got this. I went up to Craig and I hit him on the chest, shook his hand. And I can tell you exactly what that man and his wife have conquered. Don't you forget, God is not up there. He is right beside you. He is not only on your side. He's by your side. And he's knocking. Okay, one more thing about you that's actually two things. One more thing about you today that I want to say, and it won't surprise you if you know me well, that it has to do with the word grace. Because I believe that it is the reason Jesus came, and I believe it is the reason you live, the word grace. And the thing about you I want to tell you today is that you are both measured with and by grace. Here's what I mean by that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, since we've compiled this long list and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, by the way, you see what he says there, both us and them, by the way, you're not any different than the people you're pointing at. 
since we have compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. You are measured not, not by how good you are. Check, check. Uh. Rick saves the day again. Let's see if I can remember where I was at. This grace um, is, it's about leaning. The, the word grace has this connotation with it of like a, it, it's weird because in English it's a little bit different, but in Greek there's this thought like this leaning that happens. And let me tell you what that feels like. Let me tell you what, in, in our terms, what that feels like. My son, Reese, who is sitting back there today, I'm just set up taller when I said that, um, is, uh, is just my best bud. He's my best bud. Um, but every now and then, he has a hard time making choices. It's just every now and then. He's a good chooser usually, but sometimes he has a hard time making choices. And, and, and let me tell you what happens in my house. If, if he makes a bad choice, and this happened not that long ago, we were sitting doing something, and I asked him to do something that he was already doing. You know, he kind of got in this habit of, Reese, do this, Reese, do this, Reese, do this, and I asked him a couple times, and he was already doing what I asked him to do, so he looked up at me and he said, Dad, can't you see? What do you think I'm doing? And the whole room froze. Like, uh-oh, Reese made a choice that he shouldn't have made. And I was sitting with my mom and Risha and London, and everybody kind of dropped their forks. <laughs> uh-oh, what's Dad going to do? And, and this is the picture of what grace is, of leaning towards grace. My mom, who's here today too, my mommy came, and my, my grandma, my mom, she leans over to me and she says, he's really tired. <laughs> and he just started school. And give him a break. Right? So when, when Jesus died on the cross, we know what happened. He died on the cross. Um, he was put in a grave. He ro- rose again after three days. And he appeared to a whole bunch of people. So it's not just like a few crazy people saw him. He appeared to a whole bunch of people. And after he appeared back to them, he had, he had become a conqueror, and he had declared that they were conquerors, and it was this incredible moment, beginning of the church, all that stuff we'll talk about in a minute. And then he got up on a big hill, and he says, now your job, guys, is to keep this thing going. And not just, and this would have sounded so crazy to the few of them that were up there, not just in this area, but also to a bigger area, and then to the whole world. I mean, at this point, you could, couldn't get a United flight and go out somewhere. How would we going to get this thing to the world? It sounded ridiculous. He says, I want you to tell the whole world about this story. And then Jesus d- disappears. 
Bible uses the word ascended. He, he rose up, and people saw him, and he was gone. And he said, by the way, this is the funniest thing. He said, I'll be with you till the very end of the time. And then he left. <laughs> it was like, what? He's gone. So here's what the Bible says happened. This is what Paul tells us happened. When he left, after he died on the cross for your sins, he sat at the right hand of God. He sat right next to God. And he became, listen to this. You maybe never heard this before. Jesus became your advocate. He became sitting next to God, looking down, watching your life, going, he's tired. Yeah, but, uh. God would say, yeah, but our standard is perfect. It's whole. It's righteous. There's no sin. And Jesus says, my sacrifice took care of that. And over and over, he whispers into the ear of God, Grace. Don't ever forget that you are measured. Your human life is measured not by the tasks, not by the number of places you've served in this church or any church, not by how much money you put in the offering plate, but by pure grace. Now, you're measured with grace And by grace, and here's what I mean by that. See, in some ways, it's easier if you could be measured by your tasks because you could perform a whole lot of good tasks and go, look how good I am. And God would look at you and go, I don't care because that's not what I'm looking at. Yeah, does God want you to, to, to do the right things, to make the right choices? Absolutely, as a response to his grace, but not as a way to earn it. And then when he says, it's time to measure you, it's time to find out how you're doing, you know how he measures you? by the grace that you show for others. I can't wait to hear what's next in this church. I can't wait to see what Rod's preaching. I'm going to listen online. I can't wait to see how many people show up in small groups this fall, which are starting again soon. Life groups on Wednesday nights. I can't wait to see the things that are going to happen in this church, but one thing I will always be filtering everything through is this question. Is there grace in this place? Because not just as this is the right way to live life, but this is the way God measures how we're doing. By you looking into the lives of people who are broken around you, those people who have messed you over. In fact, at one point, Jesus says, what good is it for a man to love people who love him? Everyone loves people who love him. We're not talking about loving each other. You understand that? Our call as a church, our call as Christians, is not to love people who are easy to love. It's to look for the people who are hard to love and go after that. And that is not just a good idea. That's how God knows how well we're doing. That's how we can tell if we're close to God or not. Not by how many scriptures we've memorized. Not by how much money we put in the offering plate. But how we treat the people in our lives who don't treat us well. So let that help you make your next Facebook post. Let that help you talk to your coworkers. Your grace for others isn't just a nice thing. It proves your relationship with God. Colossians 3 says this, make allowance for each other's faults. I use the New Living Translation because I love that thought. What if we treated each other like this? You know what he means by make allowance? It's like... Yeah, we, we got to get better. I love you too much to let you just waller in that mistake you're making. But I'm certainly not going to judge you by it. I'm certainly not going to 
somehow condemn you or label you. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In fact, Jesus took it even a step further than that. Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. Now, the Greek there is this connection between your relationship with other people and God's relationship with you. It's almost like it's the exact same thing. Like, your relationship with other people is just like your relationship with God. In fact, Jesus was standing with his disciples one time, and they were all lined up at the, t- at the temple, ready to give their sacrifices and ready to bring in their offerings. It'd be like you having a $20 bill in your pocket ready to put in the offering plate. And the plate was coming by, they were all standing in line, and they all had their doves and their stuff they were going to sacrifice. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, you know, if you're going to sacrifice something for God, and there you remember that there's somebody who has something against you and you don't like them and you feel bad about them, you need to tie up the donkey, or the, you probably didn't sacrifice a donkey, um, sheep, you tie up the lamb, you put the bird in its cage over there, and you leave it there. You don't even sacrifice it to God until you get right with people. And the disciples would have looked at Jesus and said, you're almost starting to sound like Jesus, that God cares as much about how we take care of each other and how we treat each other as he does about how we treat him. And Jesus says, bingo. We are measured with grace, thank God. And we are measured by grace. One more thing about church. I saved this one for last because I'm not going to be able to finish when I'm done, I'm sure. You know, when I came to this place, um, this won't surprise some of you, but it will others. I hated church. I went to Bible college in Illinois. Didn't have a great experience. Went to a church right out of college as a newlywed. My wife met someone on the internet, left me while I was in ministry, and I felt burnt. I felt hurt, not just by her, but the church did some weird things too. And I ended up leaving and going to work for the Navy for a while, and then got called back into ministry in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, a big church there, and that's where I met my wife, Risha, who um, I can't even say her name without smiling. And um, we did ministry there for a couple years and got hurt left, came back here for just a little bit, and then went to Wisconsin, where I was in a church there for three or four years, and not as much hurt, but just disillusioned church, not ever disillusioned with God, really, but just church, and when I I left there, I thought, I'm done, no more, no more staff at church, no more preaching, I'm done, or at least for a while, I came back, I lived at the log cabin, and I I brought my, my video business here to Bloomington, And I got a phone call from my dad one day, and he said, um, hey, I'm supposed to be preaching in this little church in Paragon called New Life. And dad was preaching here on an interim basis while you guys were in between ministers, and he said, I don't don't think I want to preach this weekend. I can't remember what his excuse was. Would you preach for me? And my initial reaction was no. I don't remember how dad talked me into it, but I showed up. And I'll never forget, I met Rick Finney right over here. He was wearing a big flannel shirt. I didn't mean big. A flannel shirt. And um, I thought, man, what a different kind of a human. Um, well, little did I know. Little did I know. Totally. 
And I preached a sermon, I don't know if you guys were here or not, any of you were here, I preached the sermon called The Other Me. Um, and it was about this thing inside me that um, is sinful. Thing inside me that isn't who I want to be. And I came with the plan of being very surface level. And the more I talked, the more I saw in the eyes of the people here that you had another me too. And the more I talked, the more comfortable I felt. And I started telling you stories. It was like a counselor all of a sudden. I started sitting on this stage and unloading. And that day was the first day of my 10 years here. Officially, I'm still the interim, I think. And this church provided me an opportunity um, not just to scratch an itch to preach, but I believe you saved my life. Here's what I mean by that. The church in general um, and all the things that had come through, all the things I've been through in my life from Gosport Christian Church, some of you have been over there, when my grandmother taught me um, first grade Sunday school, me the only person in a class she taught me as though there was a whole class full of people. All the lessons I've learned, I remember mom and I at Ellisville Christian Church, she had to go to three services every Sunday and set up for it, and I'd get there early, and I went to every service. All the things that have been through in church, all the sermons I've heard, all the, the lessons I've heard, all the crafts I've made, if you take all of those things in my life, and you put them in a big ball, and you suck them out of my life for a minute, I know where I would be. I believe the way the church saved me was preventative. I know exactly where I would be. And when I came to this church, not only did you renew a hope that I have for the church, but you gave me a love for it again. I believe the church is the hope of the world. I believe it's not just a place to come on Sundays. And those of you who know me well know that I would never have written that on a slide 10 years ago because I didn't believe it. You have renewed the promise in my life that Jesus has made that the church is the hope of the world. I believe that this church is the hope of Paragon. I believe that right now, in this building right now, we have the one mandate, the one idea, the one concept that will actually change things. The one thing on, in all of the earth that will actually make astounding difference. And that is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you did it today, if everyone in this building did it today, it would change Paragon in a week. If everyone in Paragon did it for a month, it would change the culture of Morgan County. If Morgan County did it for a year, the, world, the, the, the United States would start to change. And if the U.S. did it for a full year, the world would change, and I believe it. It's not rhetoric from your preacher. I believe it is the one concept that will absolutely change things. Not how you vote, not which stance you take on any of the issues, but if we could learn to love our neighbors the way Jesus told us to love our neighbors and to love every single one, our police officers wouldn't have as much work to do. Our courts would close. And life would change as we know it. It is what Jesus called us to. And here's the thing. The only place in the world, you know the government's job in your life? It's to tell you how far you can go before you get thrown in jail. That's their job. That's who they are. They're never going to inspire you to greatness. You know the, the job of schools used to be to inspire to greatness, but now we've kind of taken that out. Now they just teach you. The only institution on earth left that will inspire you to that kind of greatness is the church. 
And this church can change Paragon, can be the hope of a paradigm shift for the meth addicts if we individually take Jesus at his word. I believe it's the hope for you and your family, whatever you're going through right now. I believe this church, it's not about Sunday mornings, it's not about coming here and listening to a message and getting a little filled up. I believe if you dig in, if you are patient with this place, because we will make our mistakes, this church is no exception, all churches do, this one will make our mistakes. If you will wait, if you will be patient, if you will dig in, you will see the kind of difference that this church can make in your family and in your life. I believe it's the hope for the nation and the hope for the world. Matthew 16. It's one of my favorite pieces of scripture. I thought it'd be a fun way for me to end today. All the people were, all the disciples, Jesus' closest friends were gathering around him and he said, who do people say I am? Some people, some guys said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're like a, uh, like a good prophet. I was reading an article this week in Newsweek and it was saying, who is Jesus? And it was like a long list. Same list. <laughs> Same list in Newsweek, 2,000 years later is when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? They say you're a good person or you're a prophet. And he looks at one of his best friends and he says, Peter. And by the way, the word Peter means little pebble, which is a terrible thing to name your kid. Little pebble. Peter, who do you say I am? And in this moment, like this really cool earth-shattering moment he pointed at peter and he said peter little rock who do you say i am peter said you are the messiah you're the one we've been waiting for out of all of the earth out of the story of god you are the one that can change and will change everything that's who i believe you are you're not a good idea you're not a good thing to do on sunday mornings you're not a good story that i should tell my kids because it might make them better people you're not just a, a a rabbit's foot that may bring me good luck you're not you are the thing that actually changes things for the world and jesus looked at him and he changed his words. Jesus replied, you are blessed. And then he said the word Simon, which is Peter again. He said, little rock, little pebble, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from a human being. And then he says, now I say that you, little rock, you are boulder. Peter, Upon this boulder, upon that statement that you made, that I'm not just a good idea, that I'm not just a good person, but that this will change everything, that doing life the way I intend will change everything on earth. On that rock, I want to do something really important. I'm going to build my church. Do you know how stupid this would have sounded to these guys? Few guys left, just a few guys by themselves with Jesus, walking to Caesarea Philippi. Just a few guys that feel like this thing's coming to an end. No heroes. Jesus says, Peter, on that statement, I'm going to build a church. And then he says this. And all the powers of hell won't conquer it. That was 2,000 years ago that Jesus made that prediction. And let me tell you something. Right now, here today, the world gets pretty bad. Things get pretty awful. And guess what? 
powers of hell have not conquered it and will not conquer it. You've been invited. Band, you guys can come up. You've been invited to be a part of something in this place. And I've been honored to be here for 10 years. Where God is go- wants to make history. For 2,000 years, he's been predicting this place and the rock that comes from holding up Jesus. So I'm going to ask you today, one last time, would you dig into this church? Allison stood up and told you about all kinds of opportunities this morning. Would you do something here? Dig in. Be here more. Serve more. Give more. Have more patience. Although if you all start getting patience when I leave, I'm going to get mad, all right? (laughs) You are measured with and by grace. God is on your side and by your side. And I will never forget you. Today would be a great day. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Today's the day to open it. I'm going to be back there in that corner one last time today. And I got the counselor in the house. It's a good day. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Would you open it today? Thank you. Thanks for letting me be a part of the rock New Life Christian Church. Hell won't conquer it. The powers of hell itself will not conquer what you're doing here. I love you and I thank you. It's my one more thing.